Hello and welcome to the Hidden Addiction Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Mid-Hudson Problem Gambling Resource Center under the New York Council on Problem Gambling. Across New York State, we have seven resource centers dedicated to connecting individuals to care. We are here to increase awareness about problem gambling and advocate for support services for persons adversely affected by problem gambling. Gambling is defined as risking something of value on a game of chance. There can be many types of gambling and it can affect anyone at any time in their life. It may not be talked about often and kept in the dark, but we hope this podcast sheds light on the hidden addiction of gambling and brings forth resources and information for you to use. Hello. Thank you for joining us to listen to our second episode of The Hidden Addiction. We are the Mid-Hudson Problem Gambling Resource Center. We are located in the Mid-Hudson region of New York State, and we cover um, the counties of Ulster County, Sullivan County, Dutchess, Orange, Putnam, Westchester, and Rockland. We work under the New York Council on Problem Gambling, What we do is we educate people on problem gambling, as well as connect those who are struggling and or affected to services. So why the hidden addiction? Why do we call this the hidden addiction? It's a topic that is not often discussed in the addiction world, as well as the mental health world. Uh, Gambling is something that is very normalized in society and we wanna shine light that this is an addiction and that people are struggling. And we don't wanna continue to say the hidden addiction. We wanna say this is an addiction. But until then, this is the Hidden Addiction Podcast. All right, thank you, Leilani. And on this episode today, we're gonna be talking about sports betting. So we're gonna talk a little bit, uh, just an overview of what sports betting is, um, what's currently legal in New York State, um, and what's proposed in New York State for sports betting. So today um, we have with us our executive director, Jim Maney from Albany. Um, and um, we're very thankful for him to be here today to talk to us a little bit more about, um, about sports betting. Welcome, Jim. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Glad to be here. This Thank podcast you. is going to be very successful and look forward to not only this one, but future ones that you folks put out. Thank you so much for taking time out to um, and joining us today. We know that you have a busy schedule and um, we just truly appreciate it. My pleasure. So I know to get started, we were going to just kind of discuss what is sports betting, what is currently legal in New York. So can you explain to the listeners um, what is sports betting? What are we talking about today? Oh, man, it's a great question. What is sports betting? Obviously, we have to determine what sports are, first of all. One of the different areas that we try not really to get into is defining, you know, is betting on, you know, two ants crossing the road, is that sports betting? Or are we just talking about football betting and basketball and hockey and golf? You know, it goes down to the realm of things from everything. But I think the most important thing, what we talk about is sports betting, is that for the first time, really, it's legal in New York State over the last couple of years. But it doesn't mean it hasn't been going on. Gambling on sports has been going on in our state, in our country, in the world for generations and generations. Um, Obviously, it was done with bookmakers at one time, mostly done, and 
then the state governments wanted to get a piece of the action, so they legalize it. And that's the change, what we've seen over the past many years, and it went from Ill, illegal operation. Now, once again, in bookmaking, in placing bet sports betting, historically, we can always gamble. There's no rule law against gambling whatsoever. The law of what makes gambling illegal is the one that takes the bet. The bookmaker is the illegal gambler, not the gambler. Gamblers can place bets, typically in the old days. And so now with the new commercial casinos over the last couple of years, we have four commercial casinos, and then we have three Indian tribes that now can take legal sports betting at their facilities. So you'd have to actually go into the brick and mortar casino and make your bets there. What is new about what's coming up is that for the first time it'll be mobile sports betting uh, proposed by the lawmakers and will be signed by the governor shortly. So that will be the newest advent in sports betting in our state. Thank you. I appreciate you kind of taking the time to explain that. I think it's really important to have that background information for anyone listening in. And so just kind of moving forward, as you mentioned, there is proposals in this budget for New York State sports betting. Can you explain to the listeners, you know, what is that? What is that going to look like? What is the proposal? What should we be looking forward to? Well, I think the biggest thing you're going to be looking forward to, you're going to hear about is when you hear about the gambling industry trying to recruit players to sign up for their activity. That'll be the first thing that you see before anything even comes. You'll see whoever gets it, DraftKings, FanDuel, whoever it might be, will be putting out a huge marketing campaign recruiting new and existing gamblers to their site. That's the first thing you will see. The end result will be that there'll be um, mobile apps on your phone, on your computer, on your laptop, whatever it might be, that you can now for the first time legally gamble on in New York State. And it was going to be done, which is interesting, through the New York State Gaming Commission. So in New York State, the New York State Gaming Commission runs the New York State Lottery. It's the most um, profitable lottery in the country. Last year, state-sponsored gambling revenue was $10.2 billion. I should say 2019 before the pandemic, $10.2 billion was the revenue from state-sponsored gambling in the state of New York. What makes that so interesting is that mobile sports betting in most states, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, et cetera, et cetera, are run through the casinos. You know, there's casinos that have, and I think there's probably like 37 casino licenses in New Jersey, 24 in Pennsylvania, whatever, rough numbers like that. We won't be doing it that way in New York. New York will select one or two uh, members of the industry to run platforms that everything will be derived from. But the New York Gaming Commission will get the majority of the revenues, whatever the, whatever the split will be, might be 55, 45, but the state of New York is not using casinos as the middlemen to produce their revenue. They will be running it, which puts problem gambling in a very interesting aspect that the state of New York is once again profiting off of expansion of gambling and that they are still responsible for regulating it and treating it. So you can see the dilemma. We don't do that for anything else. State of New York does not sell cigarettes. State of New York does not sell alcohol. State of New York does not sell prescription medication, but the state of New York sells lottery tickets and now mobile sports betting. 
So that's the dilemma that we are faced going forward. Okay, yeah, and I know that we have just seen, uh, just in research that's been done, right? So in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, these other neighboring states that do have, uh, you know, mobile sports betting already legalized. I know that I've, I've heard that calls for help and those having difficulty with gambling, that has increased. Are we expecting to see a similar situation in New York? Amanda, that's a great question. Let's just talk about what we saw during the pandemic. With our casinos closed and our folks not leaving the home to go buy lottery tickets, let's just see what happened in 2020. When the casinos were closed and people couldn't buy their lottery tickets, the state of New York lost or did not gain $4 billion as compared to the year before. So $4 billion was not lost by New Yorkers at the casinos or playing lottery games. And during that time, the rate of problem gamblers calls to the helpline, calls to our PGRCs decreased. So we could actually see when you decrease the availability of gambling, the need for help goes down. During the pandemic, we saw the rate of alcoholism increase. We saw the amount of opioids deaths increase but we saw the complete correlation between lack of gaming opportunities, gambling opportunities, and the rate of problem gambling. So now what we're going to see with no more availability and opportunity, and you think about those that are two things that we always talk about when we talk about addiction, availability and opportunity. Now we will not have to go, for those that are sports vendors, not have to get in their car, drive to the casino, et cetera, et cetera, and they'll be able to do it in the comfort of their home, on, the, on their app, on their phone, whatever. So the concern that we have is availability and opportunity and how fast this is going to be will produce folks that are going to have problems quicker, problems faster, and the need for help is going to be much more apparent. Even just kind of thinking, right, if we're going to have so many individuals that are impacted by problem gambling with this, you know, drastic increase we're going to see in the access and availability, how do you think it's going to impact our communities? How is this going to impact our state as a whole? And, you know, how can we work to really help the individuals that are negatively impacted by gambling? Sure. I think the, I think the first concern for us has to be who's being marketed? Who is going to be the gambler's? in this operation. Who's going to be, in the governor's proposal, they pr project revenues about $500 million after year three. So that's, that's the revenues. But we have to take a look, who are the gambling industry going to be targeting for this? And it will be males, generally between the ages of 18 and 40. And if we think about people that are coming to, into treatment right now or need help right now, that's not one of the age groups we would say is the most apparent coming into treatment. We would say that is not one of the age groups that we are targeting, that are coming in for help. So I think even in our efforts, we have to determine what will, what will be that help needed for the 18 to 40 year old men. Typically they don't go into treatment for anything unless they're mandated to. All right, and if you think about that, so we have to take a look at what will, will our prevention strategies be? What will our treatment strategies be to help folks? Perhaps the area that we'll really have to take a look at is who is their gambling affecting? Is it affecting 
girlfriends, is affecting spouses, is affecting families. Who is it impacting? And I and I think those are the folks that we're going to really have to target to get assistance going forward, because being an 18 to 40 year old man myself once, uh, emotional speaking is not one of our strengths. So in other words, to get money, we just will gamble more and more. And you think the being a I was the captain of my college basketball team, so I know a lot about playing sports and being involved in sports. One of the things you learn as a young kid is double or nothing. And you play double or nothing until you win. Okay, double or nothing, one more time. Well, you owe me 128 popsicles. I don't care. Let's play for 256 popsicles. And eventually you win usually, all right? And that's the same mentality in gambling. And that's the same mentality for these folks. So I think the targeting area for us in our prevention and our marketing strategy has to be, you know, how do we impact the folks that are being impacted? Yeah, I think you, you made a really great point about not only the individuals who will be targeted to join into, you know, mobile sports betting, but also how this is impacting their families, right? Their families, their friends, their close networks. Um, I know that we just as a PGRC have had that conversation a lot and how we can best connect with those that are impacted. So I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, and, it, it, and, and Amanda, it's a different strategy. If you think about in the, in the, in the field of uh, you know, alcohol and substance abuse, we really don't target the family members. There's support for them, but usually those folks are coming in because they have been arrested or a variety of things, right? And you can see it. And that's why it's beautiful. The topic of your podcast is the hidden addiction because you're right, we, we can usually see when someone's you know, drinking too much or high or whatever, you know, you go to a party, you can really typically see the people that are intoxicated. But in gambling, you can't see the ones that have been gambling too much today or haven't gambled too much today, whatever it might be. There's no, there's no odor, you know, there's no bloodshot eyes, there's no falling down, there's none of that stuff. So it will be the hidden addiction. And yet the family members are the ones that are going to be well aware of this. And I think another area that we have to talk about is the shame. Now, to keep score in gambling, we talk about how much money we've lost, we've won or lost, right? And if you think about just in those terms, you go to the casino, you go to the track, you go to whatever, and somebody asks you how you did. You can lie and say, I did great, broke even today, or won a couple hundred dollars, right? But you can't say that coming out of a bar. How'd you do today? I only had one when you had 12. You're lying to me. You had 12. You can't even stand up. You're lying. But in gambling, we can't see that. So I think we have to target two areas. And when we talk about losing money, think about in our own lives. We talk about anything else except about money a lot of times. How much money you owe on your credit cards? How much money debt, you know, who do you owe money to? Come on, tell me the truth. What's your financial situation like? And we don't like talking about that. So it's going to be even hard for a spouse to come in and say, Oh my God, we haven't paid the rent. We have it because they feel the shame and the guilt as a result of having no money because we'll just say the husband lost it all. So that's another area that this is going to really impact and how we're really going to help family members who are going to be shameful about the money lost, right? And when they find out how much money has been lost, they start taking it on internally, like they were at fault. They should have known better. I should have taken a look at the checkbook. I never, you know, and, and being in this field for a long time, if I heard it once, I heard it 50 times that the spouse will say, well, I never did the checks. He always did the checks. 
Well, he always did the checks because he was a gambler. He had to do the checks. If you did the checks, you would have found out that he was a gambler a long time ago. So we really have to continue to educate our communities and everybody. I don't even, I think we have to, shop owners, business leaders, because once again, they don't know who's gambling. So I would say to anybody, if you got 18 to 30 year old and they're starting to do sports betting, mobile sports betting at your office, <laughs> I'd be worried if this was a sales job. I'd be worried if they had, you know, accessibility to money at my place. I would be worried about the bookkeepers if he's a man and he's gambling. So education, everybody, because every time we see an embezzlement case or someone stealing from the Little League or someone steal, right? It's always gambling related. Always. They have to convince me that it's not gambling related. And most times when it comes to embezzlement or theft of that matter, especially because it's a person that's never been arrested before. Oh, it was the first time he's ever been arrested. He's a great. I wonder what it was. Right. Probably drugs. No, it's gambling. If it was drugs, he'd have been arrested many times before. If it was alcohol, it would have been, you would have known it in the community. And so this is why the education, this is why your podcast is great, because we have to get that education out there. You're right. It is a hidden disease. It's a hidden addiction whatsoever. And the only way we can deal with this is each and every one of us being aware of it, because no one can do it on their, their own. The spouse can't do it on their own, right? Multiple people can help in seeing the warning signs for this. You know, as you're talking, Jim, all I can hear in the back of my mind is you saying, what do we do? Two things. We do two things, right? We, we raise awareness of problem gambling and we provide support services to those that are in need. And I think what you're saying is so important because a lot of times when we have conversations about problem gambling, it's like, oh, you know, yeah, you know, Uncle Jimmy, you know, he, he gambled sometimes and he went to the casino, but I don't know anyone that could be gambling. And I think what you're saying is really important to really, you know, not only in raising awareness with, you know, those that are at specific risk, right? We're talking about those that are already struggling with substance use disorder. We know veterans that are at higher risk, but it's, it's up to all of us, right? We all have to work to raise awareness because, uh, you know, when you think about this metaphorical toolbox we all walk around with, uh, you know, providing support to the community, providing a service as a business owner, even if you're an ice cream shop, right? You should know who your patrons are and you should know how you can assist in, in your community with this social responsibility thing to each other. Um, so I appreciate you saying that because it's one of those things that we talk a lot about um, just internally, not only as a PGRC, but you know, across the state, how can we best support our community? And I think that starts with just being aware of what some of the risks are um, and what could could be present. Um, and then if someone does identify with a problem, knowing that there is help available. So I, I appreciate you saying all that. Oh, um, I just wanted to kind of, as we're talking about, you know, prevention and education and getting people help, you know, when we're talking about the the bill for, for sports betting, um, is there funds that are going to be available for us to continue our work to, you know, get people the treatment they need and the help they need um, to kind of help raise this awareness and help destigmatize it and get people into treatment. Colleen, it's a great comment that eats away at my gut right this moment when you say that. So in, in the bills before the, the, the budget, now obviously what came through the budget is what's going to be the law. Previously um, in the assembly in the Senate, they had identical bills about uh, mobile sports betting, the expansion of it. 
and in there was um, there was going to be five percent of the revenue was going to go towards problem gambling, and to me that was a very important um, concept. Five percent, not a lump sum, because as we know, if gambling continues rise and rise and rise and rise, and there needs to be additional money, right, to counterbalance that, right? For all the advertisement, there needs to be counter advertisement. We need prevention, just like I said, prevention, treatment, recovery, uh, research, et cetera, et cetera. What's in the budget that'll be signed is $6 million for problem gambling. So when we take a look at that, um, that's a significant number for the field of problem gambling. But in reality, when we're talking about $500 million in revenue or $10.2 billion that the lottery currently has, $6 million is not enough. It's not even close to what New York needs, right? If you, if you think about it, um, $10.2 billion, now a different five points, almost $11 billion will be the budget coming up in a couple of years for uh, state-sponsored gambling. And now there'll be $12 million in the system for developing problem gambling. So I don't think it's enough. Um, once again, the, once there's dedicated funding, it's always a positive thing because that means there'll be dedicated funding from here on out as compared to year by year. But, and there's some other things in the bill that are um, pretty interesting about problem gambling. One of the things is that every year there needs to be a, um, a study in a paper produced regarding mobile sports betting and its impact on problem gambling. And that is one thing that the council will really look into being the lead agency in developing that um, study in that paper. I don't know if we'll be eligible for that or what their idea is, but I think it'd be perfect for the council to take a look at that because that's what we deal with is problem gambling in the state of New York. So there is money, $6 million a year um, for problem gambling services and some other things that are important for problem gambling. But if you, but if you think about that $6 million, um, the New York State Lottery spends $92 million a year in advertisement. Um, FanDuel spent $200 million last year on advertising. Uh, DraftKings spent $227 million on advertising. And we have $6 million or $12 million to deal with the prevention, the treatment, the research, the recovery, and the public awareness of the problem. It doesn't seem fair, does it? And, and that's why, you know, when we represent, we represent New Yorkers. And we represent, you know, problem gamblers and their families and future problem gamblers and their families and helping to prevent future problem gamblers and their family. We need to share that we need additional revenue at all times to this. Our communities deserve more, right? Our people deserve more. Where we live deserves more. There needs to be an awareness campaign about problem gambling in the state of New York in each and every one of our communities. So every place that hears a lottery ad, every Home that hears a FanDuel ad, ad, every home that hears anything to do with gambling needs to have hear an ad about problem gambling services and problem gambling awareness. No, thank, thank you, Jim. I appreciate that. And I really think, I mean, we're, we're up against 
up against a challenging feat, but, you know, I really think that this organization is definitely up for that challenge. Um, but something, you know, I wish uh, New Yorkers in general could just hear the people that call into our, um, our line, because, you know, when we're talking to them, like, we know that we need more funds dedicated to help these people, um, because it's definitely happening. Like I said, we've said it multiple times, we call it the hidden addiction, um, and it's hidden for a reason, because people don't realize it. But if they were able to hear our stories, which is part of what we do in our education, um, to let people know what's happening out there. Um, so that we can get them the help they need. Yeah, that, that, Colleen, that's great. Wonderful what you guys, and you guys do a marvelous job. It, and, I, and I think what's so important for us is to hear those stories, is to hear what awareness of problem gambling is about, what the warning signs are. And you think about it, but it makes our job a lot harder, right? It really makes our job a lot harder. The, you know, on one hand, the state of New York is balancing this budget on gambling losses, let's be honest. So to balance our budget, we need to have people lose their money. When people lose their money, they have problems, right? The difference is with gamblers, as we know, when we lose our money and we lose a substantial amount of money, how are we gonna get that back? How are we gonna get that money back? Oh, that's right, I'll just gamble again. I'll double or nothing, I'm due to win. And now we're down $5,000. How am I going to get that back? Oh, I better gamble a little bit more, right? To get it back. And now I'm down another year later, I'm down twenty-five dollars or $30,000. How am I going to get that back? Gamble again. And then the one day you start taking somebody else's money or borrowing money from somebody, all right? Or doing whatever, not paying some bills. And then suddenly you keep chasing when you have someone that comes into treatment that owes $50,000 and you try to get them to stop, do you think they want to hear, well, you can work a second job. You can work at Walmart now for $13.25 an hour. It'll take you, hold on, you owe how much? I owe $58,000. Since I'm really good at it, that'll take you 24 years and three months to pay off. And we know this is an impulse control disorder. And do you think most people with impulse control disorders think about something that's 24 years in the future to pay off? That's why we have to really, we have to have non-gamblers not gamble. And if they're going to go from being a non-gambler to a social gambler, we have to have strategies in place to keep them as social gamblers. When we have social gamblers that now move to problem gambling, we need strategies and solutions to deal with problem gambling so they don't go any further. And we need the same thing when they cross over from problem gambling to pathological gambling that we need strategies and solutions and revenues to deal with. So on every level of the spectrum, we have to have services. We don't want our youth to start gambling early, do we? Heck no. Once you start gambling, it's almost like sex. Once you start having it, you're not going back to playing for free because something is triggered inside of you. Dopamine's flow, everything goes, and you know what that feeling's like. You're not going back. So we got to do a good job. And you think about it. Think about our seniors. Do we really want someone starting to gamble for the first time when they're 75 years old? Do you think they're ready to deal with that with everything else is going on in their lives or what may be going on mentally upstairs? Heck no. We have to be very concerned about that. We have to be concerned about every level of folks. 
Now, we haven't had a prevalence study done in the state of New York in a long time, but the rates at one time were about 90% of New Yorkers gamble, right? Be it scratch off lottery tickets, be it bingo, be it whatever, cards, but 90%, 9 out of 10 people gamble, which is a very high level. So when we even talk about that, most people in New York are gamblers or definitely have gambled and know how to gamble. The level is the important thing. On what level are they gambling? Are they gambling on a pragmatic level? Are they gambling socially, right? Are they gambling to distorted level? Those are the things we have to work with people to understand about. So this, I guess what I was trying to say in three minutes ago, was this a very complicated issue. It's complicated society-wise. It's complicated now that it, that is legalized for the first time. Now you think about it. Legalized means more people are going to do it. That's all it means. And we're going to be able to push it out forth. Think of the one thing that we have in the state of New York. And I'll tell you where mobile sports betting may go. Not only on apps for everybody that everybody will have, but eventually, and I, I don't know if this is true, but every lottery terminal can be a can be a mobile, it can be a sports betting kiosk, can it? What's the difference? We got 16,000 of those in New York State. What's the difference? We can have self-driven kiosks for sports betting. The technology in the future for gambling is just beginning. We are going to have in-game betting. Now you think about a baseball game. Guy gets up, first pitch, okay, I'm gonna bet it's a strike. Second pitch, I bet it's a single. Every play, every play is you're going to be able to gamble on. The algorithms are going to be no different than the stock market. You know, when you go and you play a, a, a bet in the stock market, you buy something, you right? It's an algorithm. It just put da 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 da. And that's the same the platform for gambling. There will be the opportunity to gamble every second on every pitch and every play that goes on. And if you think about what sports is, and the gamblers that are sports bettors are action gamblers, right? They're not escape gamblers. They're not in the corner playing a slot machine for hour after hour and talking to nobody, right? Sports bettors are loud. Sports bettors want to get in the action. They want to tell you what, they want to bet every second. And this is the concern that we have going forward. We have just opened now a box that technology in the gambling industry can't wait to go into. Our jobs are more important every day to raise the awareness of problem gambling in the state of New York. More and more every day because our services are going to be needed like never before. Well, something you said really just hit home, right? And in all this preparation for this new legislation, obviously we've been doing research, we've been sharing information so that just as the PGRC, we're better equipped to have these conversations. And something that stuck out to me was those that are sports betting are two times more likely than other gamblers to have problem gambling, pathological gambling. And it's exactly what you're saying. They're within uh, in-game betting with daily fantasy sports, with all these different avenues to gamble that already exist. Individuals who are gambling on sports are two times more likely than just other gamblers to have a problem. And now that we're going to have this explosion on the market, not only with the availability, but like you said, with the marketing, right? Just as it is, you turn on the TV, you'll listen to the radio on your phone, you're going to have different advertisements that come through offering you, you know, a free play 
five free spins. The first $200 is forgiven, whatever the case may be. And I only imagine what we're going to have as we approach this next fiscal year, uh, what that's going to look like in the state of New York and for individuals who are struggling. Oh yeah, and if you think about anything free for money for gamblers, <laughs> they'll sign up for 12 different places if they can get $200 free, right, by signing up. And, and, and you know, I, I made a joke the other day in our staff meeting, I was like, we don't have those tools. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could say, sign up for, get some services at the New York Council of Problem Gilman, $200 free, come in, you know, we'll give you $200 for it. But that's what we're against. The recruitment of our people, of our community members, we'll just use young boys, of those folks, they are going to want them. They're going to want to sign them up. They're going to need them, right? And our goal is to protect the community and saying, these are folks are vulnerable. How are we gonna make sure we help them? All of us, how are we gonna help them before it's too late? I like to use the opioid issue that we are facing today. If we'd known 10 years ago and done some of the things that we're doing today, we probably wouldn't have this problem as bad, right? If we could have done 10, 10 things 10 years ago, we could have made sure that we prevented a lot of the things that are going on today. I say the same thing about sports betting. I say the same thing about this expansion. What can we do today to safeguard our individuals and our communities so down the road, we don't have explosion of people getting in trouble, right? Harming their lives as a result of this addiction. And I think that's so important. That's why we work with so many community partners in our area is to help us because, you know, at sometimes we don't have all the answers and we need help to strategize ways to protect our community in these in these instances. And that's why we, we, we love our community partners in, in the Mid-Hudson region and we know that our um, our, our, our colleagues and other PGRCs throughout the state, they're doing great work with, uh, with their community partners. We need each other at the end of the day. We need each other to come up with strategies because even though we are working in, uh, in, in pro the problem gambling world, we know that there are co-occurring uh, uh, diseases, co-occurring issues out there that, um, that affect uh, the, the problem gambler, whether it's alcohol or drugs or opioids or any other addiction out there, so, and mental health. So we all can work together to come up with strategies to definitely help the individuals in the community that are struggling um, and getting them to services. Thank you, Jim. So I did want to ask um, another question. So one that we have just been talking about, and um, a clinician actually brought this up last week, just looking at this new legislation, and I know that there is still some things to get figured out with how it's you know, exactly going to be rolled out in New York. Um, but one question that he brought up was, with you know the current climate right at this very moment with those individuals who are traveling, crossing over to Jersey or to Pennsylvania to gamble, um, looking at how they are proposing to roll out you know, online sports betting in New York. He was saying that a lot of these experienced and seasoned gamblers may not really glob onto this monopoly or you know, few skin holder uh, process that New York State is going to do. And they may continue to cross over to Jersey or to Pennsylvania to place their bets. So I'm wondering 
this is a two-part question. One, what are your thoughts on that? And two, what are your thoughts on those who are either non-gamblers or just social gamblers now? And how will this, uh, you know, New York state system, how will this impact them? Amanda, great question on the first one. Uh, people usually gamble for comfort, right? So if they have to, if they have to drive 30 miles to go to Jersey to place a bet and they can place the same basic bet in New York, well, they're going to bet in New York. That's what, that's what the state of New York um, needs them to do, first of all. And that's what the industry will make sure happens. So if you take a look at FanDuel, say FanDuel gets the platform in New York and they have a platform in New Jersey. They want to capture that person in New York, right? They, want to, they don't want that person to go to New Jersey. The, industry doesn't want, the New York industry will not want anybody to cross over that border. And they'll do everything they possibly can to A, recruit that person, get that person to try their product out and hopefully like their product. Because once again, betting on the Giants, betting on the Knicks tonight, betting on the Knicks last night, the line is not gonna be different between New Jersey and New York. It's gonna be the same exact line. It's gonna be two and a half point spread that they're giving the Lakers. Take it or leave it, you know? And so the availability and the opportunity will play out the most. Now, if for some reason, we do not have enough ability to place multiple bets at a time, then people may go over to Jersey to do a bunch of different things if it's different than New York. But we even see that in slot machine players, it's the same thing. If someone's gonna play the slot machines, they're gonna play ones closest to home. It's still just a slot machine to them. It's still just an escape to them, right? If you think about your local bar, right? People go to the local bar because it's local. They don't drive 35 miles because the Heineken is better, right, in Beacon than it is, you know, in Westchester. So that's the concept of gambling too. You've got to get the person because the person that is gambling on their device right now with New Jersey is comfortable with that. How does New York get them to give that piece up and bet on theirs. And that's the whole recruitment piece. No different than a Macy's coming into town where there's a Lord and Taylor. How do you get them to start shopping at Macy's? Well, you do ads, you do sales, you try to get them into the door. And once you get them into the door, you have a good product and they stay with you. So it's the same idea. And I don't recall the second part of your question. So the second part of the question was just asking, um, and I think we may have touched on this already, but I just wanted to make sure that if we had to double back, we could do it. Um, you know, what do you think this is going to have an impact or what will that impact look like for those that are non-gamblers or social gamblers now? Um, what do you think this increase in availability will do uh, for those individuals? I can just give you my brother. I have, I have, I'm one of six boys and we're all, five of us are interested in sports still. Um, in, in, uh, in Albany, we, we see in a basketball team and my brothers all have season tickets to the local college game. And it, they, they play down at Knickerbocker arena down in Albany and they've been going forever. And my brothers are not sports betters because they don't do it online. Right. They don't do it in Jersey. They don't do it. But I guarantee you, if there was a kiosk on the way into the game and they could put $10 on the game, they would do it, each and every one of them, as long as it's legal. Now, they're all attorneys, so they're not going to break the law. My one brother is a judge. He's not going to break the law. 
But if the availability opportunity is there and everybody else is doing it, why not? And I think that's what you're going to see about men doing this. People that haven't gambled before, because in the old days, if you didn't have a bookie, you really couldn't gamble on sports. So you had to find someone who knew a bookie and stuff like that, which wasn't hard to do. But once it becomes legal and you can have it close proximity to where you're going for an event, you're going to do it. If people are watching football games on the weekend and every ad comes up about gambling on it, they're going to be more apt to try it, the normalcy of it. Everybody else is doing it. If everybody's in a group that's gambling, the non-gambler watching sports will probably gamble because the belief is it's a harmless activity, no harm, no foul, what's the big deal? So I believe the normalization of this, the legality of this is going to allow people to experiment for the first time more naturally than they were before. Yeah, no, I definitely appreciate that. So I guess the big question of the hour is with all of this access and availability that's going to be increasing and you know, it's obviously going to be very present in our communities, what would you say is the best course of action for the New York Council on Problem Gambling, for the problem gambling resource centers across the state? What can we do just to prepare? Yeah, once again, man, if I had my magic wand, I would have as much money as the industry has right now to produce. Is Every time they have an ad, our ad would come up. Every time they did anything, we would do the same exact thing. I think the important thing for us to do is to match their intensity of recruiting players as our match is to raise the awareness of problem gambling in our communities. And it will make some people uncomfortable by us sharing that we need to raise the awareness about this mobile sports app going to take over because it's going to take over many people's lives. And we may not even talk about wins and losses. We're gonna talk about time, more people now will be involved in gambling. More people will venture in to various aspects of gambling. Before, if you only gambled, say, once a weekend, now you may be gambling every night because of the availability and the opportunity. I think the other thing that we have to do for folks is to really share with them just, just no different about COVID. We really don't know much about COVID still. We don't know if vaccines really work eight years down the road. We really don't know a lot still because it's such a fresh thing. And I question, do we know enough about technology and gambling going forward? What is the correlation between those two things? We've never seen it before. We don't have anything in the addiction field to deal with it, to even take a look at it, to compare it to. We can't compare it to alcoholism, boom, 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 we can't do it. The closest we can really take a look at is opioid addiction, how fast and how quick and how deadly that is, right? It can happen so fast and so quick and people can die so quick from it. We're talking about the same quickness. I'm not saying the same death. I'm just talking about same quickness, how quick it is to get your hit, how quick it's going to be to get that next hit. Quick, 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 quick. Right? If you think about it, I've been doing this now for about 25 years. And at first, in 1996, when people came into treatment, it was middle-class white men who gambled on the horses. And it took about 25 years before the problems got too much. If you take a look at horse racing, there's 
30 minutes in between your bet. Horse goes off, then you got 30 minutes before you can, you know, watch the next horse race goes off. So that's what it was. And then in 1967, we put in the lottery. And you know, the lottery was a once a month drawing. Once a month. And you think about it, that was 1967. Go forward 40 years. And now we have it on our phone 24 seven. How fast and how quick that is gone. Alcohol use has been going on for 25 million years, right? That concept hasn't changed a heck of a lot. Yeah, we got seltzers, we got claws, we got this and we got that. But wine has been going on forever. But technology and gambling, this is a new animal. We don't know anything about it. We don't know what's going to happen. But I will tell you this, if you take a look at things that have rushes, phones with young people, it's their livelihood, right? It's all they do. They do their banking on there, right? Talk to a 75-year-old person. You do your what? I, you don't take your check and bring it to the cashiers, right? They do. You guys do everything on those phones. And now we're going to put gambling, something that people love to do because it creates a rush, a high, an excitement. And now we're going to combine the two. It's like chocolate and peanut butter, right? That secret formula, whatever. But we don't know what's going to happen with that. And that's one of my major concerns is we do not know what will happen when we mix those two to such a vulnerable population, 18 to 40-year-old men. So that's my ma those are my major concerns about these things. So we have to educate. And I, and I, I like it, as we said earlier, we don't have all the answers, but we have a lot of good questions. What are we doing about this? Are we prepared for this? You know, is our families prepared for this? Are our communities prepared for this? Are our schools prepared for this? And if they can say yes, then it's great. But until they can say yes, we got our work cut out for us. But it's so exciting too. I got to say in those terms, because we, we, it's almost like we are, we, we can see the future. We know there's going to be difficulties coming down the road, and, right? And you guys can go out and say, I tell you, this is probably what's going to happen. And they're going to say, how do you know that? And you're going to say, because I'm smart as hell. And I know what's going to happen when we mix technology and gambling. This is what's going to occur. Because every time we have seen an increase in availability and opportunity, we have problems. And we just saw, and I, I, I just reiterate again, is we just saw that when the casinos and the gambling markets were closed down. The rate of problem gambling went down because there was no availability, no opportunities for a majority of people. That is the pure proof of what we just saw. During the pandemic, it went down. Every other addiction went up. Gambling went down because they couldn't do it. Now, now they'll be able to do it 24-7 anywhere they want. Man, Jim, you could do this for days. This is wonderful. <laughs> One thing I do want to just make sure that we have some time. So just for listeners who are listening in, you know, this is our second episode of the podcast. We're very excited for the future and where we have to go from here. But just for anyone that has been with, with us for the past, whoever know, you know, how long we've been in on this, if you could give them one little nugget of, of knowledge or a next step or anything, you know, is there anything that you would say? Yeah, I, I would say open our eyes. And really, let's take a look around the normalcy of gambling. The industry has made it so normal. And 
you know, think about how they've gotten away with even calling it gaming. You know, just what a discussion you can have the difference between gaming and gambling, right? What is the difference? I play a lot of games. I play cards with my kids. I play games all the time. I don't gamble, right? You think about it, but they got away with calling it gaming, which is a child's term. We're going to do some, we're going to do a little bit of gaming. And then even mixes in with video gaming and a variety of things or, or even go into the arcade, which is you're going to play a bunch of games. So I think the thing is that, you know, we got to be very careful what the industry, and we can use the, you know, alcohol industry, the tobacco industry, and what the industry tries to do to make it normalization for these things because it's not harmful. Right. And, and you think about how that occurs and just even the ads, you know, should we really be having FanDuel giving out free stuff to gamblers, free money to problem gamblers? Right? I don't think that's a great concept as a community. So I think to have the conversation about gambling, gaming, whatever it might be, is a great way to start talking to anybody about anything. Because if you think about it, everybody knows what gambling is right? Everybody knows what gambling is. Everybody can tell you about lottery ads. You know, go up to anybody and say, what's your favorite lottery ad? And everybody will have one. In it to win it. Going to be a millionaire. I remember talking to my daughter's friends one time, and they, they were probably 12, 13 years of age. And I said, uh, I said, every one of them is like eight around, you know, and they're 13-year-old girls and blah, blah, blah. So they can't stop talking. So I said, I said, I said, girls, Meg, how are you guys going to become a millionaire? What's the best way to become a millionaire? Every one of them at 12, 13 years of age said, play the lottery. Not hard. You know, we wouldn't have said that when I was growing up. It would have been hard work or marry somebody rich. Those are the only ways you could do it. Now, the instant way is right to play was, was to play the lottery. So even that has become a part of our culture. Right. And the other idea that we have to really work on is how do we get help, prevention and treatment of this as part of our culture? And how it starts is really a conversation at a time, you know, and, and, and I know I've told you folks many times, all we are ever doing is having a conversation and, and we do it in our own way to educate people about problem gamblers and their families, right? That, that's all we're doing ever, no matter who it is we meet, you know, blah, 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 whatever it is. And somehow, no matter who I meet, it always turns into gambling. No matter what I'm talking about, who I'm talking about, if they ask me what I do, then the conversation never goes to anything else but that because people are so interested in the concept of it. Because once again, I don't say I know any of the answers to the questions, but I do know the questions. You know, like what in your business, do you guys do raffles and stuff like that? You know, at, at your school where you work, what, what is your gambling culture in your home? What's your gambling culture? What do you, right? And people all have that to some extent. So to me, what the thing we can do the best is just keep having conversations one person at a time, one group at a time. And the key to us is making sure they remember us. Now, I don't bring a card with me. I've never had cards. I don't give people cards. If I can't make them remember me, I didn't do a good job. Good, bad, or ugly. That's, it, it, it's kind of like dating. If, 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 the, if the girl doesn't know your name or like you after that, then she's not gonna call you again, right? Even if she needs help, she's not going to call you. She didn't like you. And it's the same thing when I talk about this. How do I make sure that conversation goes well, that they remember Jim Maney, if the time and place ever comes 
that gambling becomes an issue. Oh, Jim Maney. Let's find, where, where, where is he again? Let's find him. So to me, that's the important thing about our conversations. Leave him with something. Leave him with your knowledge, your intelligence, your questioning, your concern. And, and once again, I, I can speak for you three. You guys do a great job of that, of leaving people wanting more. You know, not experts. The, 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 the key is we, I'm not an expert in anybody's life or anybody's culture or anybody's work but I'm pretty good at asking them questions to get them to start talking about what problem gambling or gambling is to them in their community, their organization. Well, Jim, I think that you're memorable. And I think that the people who listen to this podcast will remember your name and remember your message because your message um, in this, in this um, episode has been very strong, very passionate and um, very powerful. And I appreciate working for this agency because of your leadership and the leadership that follows under the council. So the more and more you speak, every single time you speak, I get, I get energy. I, my, 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 my feeling about this work becomes more energetic and, and I energize, it, it energizes and I appreciate it because it helps me do the work alongside of the stories that we hear from the people who are actually struggling or affected by it. It's their stories that also um, brings power to the work that we do. So if anybody doesn't remember your name, I know I will. <laughs> well, thank you, Leilani. I appreciate that. <laughs> You're welcome. And, you know, going back, I think going back to something that you had said prior um, in regards to the one word or the one thing that you, uh, that you started saying is be aware. And the way we can help a person be aware is going back to increasing awareness, but we provide as a PGRC for those who don't know what we do in particular. Um, one of the things that we do under the prevention umbrella is we provide education and training around the topic of problem gambling, whether it's Problem Gambling 101, giving you just a basic overview or problem gambling and suicide, problem gambling co-occurring, problem gambling in the workplace. These are some of the things that was discussed within this podcast uh, today. So we can provide that education and training to whomever and whatever organization needs it. And we also want to hear from you. So if you ever feel that you want to have conversations with us about gambling within your community. What does it look like? How does it look like? Please reach out to us. Uh, you can email us at midhudsonpgrc at nyproblemgambling.org. And you will be connected to myself, Leilani Eiser-Reed. I am the team leader uh, for the Mid-Hudson Problem Gambling Resource Center. And if you ever are struggling with problem gambling or affected by your loved one's um, addiction, you will be connected to Amanda and Colleen and they are our program managers. And our line to call is 914-215-6440. And at all times, even if you had a question, just a question, something that you wanna know, something that is, you know, that you wanna know in regards to problem gambling, Call us, email us. We are here always, always to help. 
So as we bring episode two to a close, I just want to give a very special um, thank you and shout out to Jim Maney. Thank you again for coming. This has been excellent. We have discussed so much wonderful information and I think all of our listeners will agree that this has been thebomb.com. Um, and uh, yeah, Colleen, Leilani, anything else that you want to add? No, I just wanted to say thank you again, Jim. And like Leilani already said, you know, even if you just have a question, obviously our lines are always open um, and that's what we're here for. And we'll put our information in the show notes as well so that if you ever have a question, you know where to reach us at. Appreciate all your help and all your, everything that you do for problem gamblers and their families in your area. You know that. Nicely done. Did you practice that? Well, we did it.